At this time, I will dismiss the children to Children's Church. Miss Amy's over there to my left, so if you have kids that would like to participate, uh, they are more than welcome to do so. It is such a blessing to have each of you with us this morning. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is already present, and I believe God has a message for each of us. Uh, my guess is he's already been speaking to you already, uh, so we celebrate that. Uh, I will tell you that uh, what I'm going to share today is going to sound like what I'm about to uh, share with you right now is completely unrelated to the actual message, but I want you to know today that it is not. Actually, this week has been a very long week. It has been a great week, but a long week. Uh, I've had multiple calls this week to go deal with families that have de been dealing with death, and obviously nobody enjoys doing those things. A couple of those were related to the uh, Clemson Police Department. Obviously, uh, being the chaplain, I get uh, several calls. Actually, I've had one already this morning. Uh, that being said, there was something that was shared at uh, one of these family visits that I made this week. It was a loved one who had passed, and uh, the spouse shared with me, he said, you know, the, the hardest part for me is I know he was not a believer. And honestly, my heart broke hearing that. You know, so often we get caught up in all the other things that seem to matter to us, the things that seem very important, but when it comes down to it, all of us one day will stand before the Lord, and we will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or away from me, for I never knew you. My encouragement to you, and I know, again, this message that I'm going to share with you in just a few moments, it's going to sound unrelated. It is not. The most important thing that any of us can do is to make sure that our relationship with Jesus Christ is what it ought to be. Not allowing it to wait until tomorrow or wait until the crisis is over or wait until the next crisis comes, but rather to make sure today that our hearts are right with the Lord. Because every other principle that I share with you from the pulpit, if your heart is not right with the Lord, it won't matter. You won't understand entirely. It's not because you're not intelligent. The message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. So what happens is our perspective changes when our hearts are right with Jesus Christ. So I simply begin with a challenge again before I even get into the message today. Make sure that your heart is right with the Lord today. The story is told of a very wealthy man who on the occasion of his daughter's wedding, he sent a check for $5,000 to the bridegroom as a wedding gift. He sent it by the hand of his, uh, the bride's sister, so his other daughter. And when she returned, the man eagerly asked, what did your new brother-in-law say when you gave the check? And the girl replied, well, he didn't say anything, but when he looked at it, he began to cry. How long did he cry, was the question. And she replied, I don't know, I guess about a minute or so. He said, only a minute? Well, I cried for over an hour after I wrote that check. <laughs> Does giving make you want to cry? Pastors have developed a reputation for using today's passage to shame congregations into giving. And my hope today is that nobody is shamed into giving. Instead, I want to give not because of shame, but because it's the right thing to do. 
Maybe this isn't even an issue for the church, something that I need to deal with. After all, a majority of American church attenders today, 54% claim to tithe to their local church. That actually sounds like we're making pretty good progress. Well, maybe not. Let me give you some additional statistics to go with that. Not based on what people say, but rather the actual numbers between 10 and 25% of regular church attenders actually tithe. Remember, 54% said they did. But even that is a misleading statistic. A tithe literally means a tenth, something that we will look at in just a few moments. But the average amount that is given as a tithe, according to the most recent figures, is 2.5%. That is down from 3.3% the last time that statistic was drawn. Now, there are multiple reasons why tithing numbers seem to continually decline. And I hate to admit this, but the church needs to take some blame in this. I regret that many of us have at times seen ungodly leadership who have squandered the generosity of God's people. The church at times, they have not been good stewards with what they've been given, and I hate it. It's one of the reasons that I love the fact that our denomination actually requires accountability and transparency regarding our finances. Far too many pastors have created a sense of mistrust within the church because of financial mismanagement. Another part of that falls on the church is that many of us have stopped talking about tithing. We're afraid that we're going to offend somebody by talking about money too much, but we do a disservice by ignoring the influence of money. Knowing how to responsibly manage our finances is vitally important to those inside and outside of the church. In fact, the reality is, if we talked more about money even outside of the church, perhaps we would be better stewards with what we have. But as we fail to address money issues, we leave people in ignorance regarding what God expects of our money. And along with that, we fail our people, robbing them of a blessing. Now, there are two reasons for people choosing not to tithe. And these fall on the individual. I started with the the church has failed in a couple of different aspects of this, but some of it will fall on individuals as well. The first is not knowing how to tithe. What we're talking about here is the budgeting thing. And by the way, if, if you need help learning how to create a budget and then to maintain a budget, there's a guy down here who, that's what he loves. Kadar is really good at that kind of stuff. And if you came to him some point today and just say, hey, Kadar, can, can you help me set up a budget? I know that he would love to be a part of that with you. I would actually be willing to help with that too. I went to college not to be a pastor, but to be an accountant. So I can help you with that kind of stuff too. But the second is not so much about not knowing how. The second reason that sometimes we as Christians struggle with tithing is simply disobedience. We've already made up our mind that we're not going to tithe because to us, maybe it's not that important. This is the Micah 6.8 issue. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Walking humbly with your God means that if he says that a tithe is at least 10%, then your opinion is somewhat irrelevant. It is at least 10% in accordance with what he already said. Well, that's enough for me. Let's consider the words of Malachi 3. This is the passage that so often pastors use when they talk about tithing. Malachi 3, beginning in verse 6, it says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And if, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I will tell you that this passage intrigues me so much, especially as we see that this address really doesn't start with money. And in a manner, I'm going back to where I started this morning. It starts a little bit with who God is. He is unchanging. He is full of grace. A little later in these verses, he mentions the need for God's people to return to him, suggesting that they don't merely know of God, that they have known him personally at some point along the way. To return to him means that they have been with him in the past. They know what it is to have a relationship with God, but it's as if somewhere along the way they have left that behind. Let me begin with the suggestion that the core issue when we talk about tithing is not money. It is a relationship with God. The truth about humanity is that change is inevitable. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. It will happen in homes, in our workplaces, or even in our churches. It happens to other people, and it happens to us. Change is simply a part of life. That being said, there is one individual who will never change. Our passage says, I, the Lord, do not change. That means that his character and his expectations do not change either. I've often heard people talk about the God of the Old Testament almost versus the God of the New Testament. I want you to know today that they are one and the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus declared that he did not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill the law. And that means that if the Old Testament God called us to something, than the New Testament God does too. 
And when we ignore those expectations, the same God who called people to repent in the Old Testament still calls people to repent in the New Testament. Our passage calls us to return to him. The literal definition of repentance is to turn, and it is a, a turning back to what was right, returning to him. Within that call is an opportunity for us to make things right. Whether we're talking about Abraham or David or Nineveh, or any other recipients of God's grace, we see clearly that God desires for his people to return to him. And he still does. That's because it all begins with relationship, which is what God so intimately longs for between you and I. Consider the words of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, which says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. He actually invites us into a real relationship with him, calling us his children. That relationship results in transformation. It says that we will become like him, even leading to a change in mind and nature, being purified just like he is pure. The point is that God redeemed us because he longs for us to be in a right relationship with him. And now that we're family, he even puts his DNA into us, which includes generosity. Did you know that God is a very generous God? He blesses when people certainly don't deserve it. Every person in this room has been a recipient of that kind of generosity. I didn't go home much when I came to college. There were a few weekends here and there, but primarily once I left home, I didn't go back all that much. You know, coming home can be very difficult for someone who has moved out of the house. When you have moved out, there are all kinds of freedoms that you have. Sure, there are also more responsibilities, but you don't have anybody checking on you to see what time you got in at night. Well, actually, at SWU, we did. They were really strict back then. You don't have anybody forcing you to clean up your room, that kind of stuff. But moving back home means living according to the rules of the house. Well, naturally, as we are brought into a right relationship with God, there is an expectation that we will live according to house rules, just like I talked about with y'all last week. My house, my rules. That's what God says. What that means is obediently doing the things that God instructs us to do. It's just a respect thing. It's kind of like what we read in 1 John 3, again in verse 4 through 6 that I didn't read already. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. 
and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. There is an expectation that we will live according to house rules. We've been invited in, and now it's time for us to live accordingly. We don't live like someone with no accountability. If you live under my roof, this is what I expect of you. We're talking about obedience. But again, we're not just talking about money. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. They apparently have been faithful in giving, but they're not being obedient and disciplined in other areas. So he said, woe to you, Pharisees. Because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. I'm going to translate that for you this morning. Jesus says to him, you sorry dogs, you pay your tithe, but you're not acting justly and loving mercy. You don't have to pick one or the other, but rather you can do both. Pay your tithe and act justly. Pay your tithe and love mercy. When you do these things all together in obedience to God, then you are walking humbly with your God. When you don't, according to God's own word, you are actually robbing God. I remember pastoring in Burlington, North Carolina. I mentioned where I started in ministry a couple weeks ago. The church was in a very rough area, and the result was that people occasionally would break into the church and steal things. I remember thinking that even if I were willing to steal, I don't think I could steal from the church. I mean, what if I died in the act of stealing and had to come before God and explain how I died? You know how humbling and hard that could be. Robbing God was never appealing to me. But when we walk in disobedience, keeping what belongs to God for ourselves, we are just as guilty in robbing God. He expects total obedience. In fact, this is the Third core issue today, God is all about relationship with us. And as we are in relationship, he expects obedience. But as we become obedient, our obedience will be revealed in our tithes and offering. So we've talked about the relationship, we've talked about obedience, and now the call to tithes and offering. In other words, you can tell me that you're obedient in all these other areas But if you're not obedient in the area of tithes and offerings, then you're not obedient. Remember that you don't have to pick and choose like the Pharisees. You should have been faithful in giving and serving. You know, it's alarming how many Christians think that tithing is actually extra biblical. I've even heard Christians say that God implies the need to tithe, but he never commands it. Let's look at the scripture just for a moment for ourselves. Start with Deuteronomy 14.22, which says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. I don't know, that sounds pretty solid to me. He expects us to tithe. The tenth of all that you produce, be sure to do this. Or according to Leviticus 
27, verse 30, where God is instructing his children on how to manage his blessings. It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It would seem that the tithe is actually quite biblical. And even in our passage, their accusation is that the people of God are stealing from God if they are not truly bringing their tithes and their offerings into the temple. But in fairness to those who have never tithed, I understand that tithing can be a scary thing, especially if you think that you're the one who earned the money in the first place. What if I give it away and then I can't earn it back? Because I'm the one who earned it, right? I mean, if I give it all away and then I, I can't take care of my own needs, I can't do the things that I need to do, what if I give it away and then find that I don't have enough to take care of myself, the things I want, the things that my family would like? So what most of us do is we take care of all our wants and our needs and then if we have anything left, we'll give it to God. Notice that there's really no sacrifice in that. You're giving away what you really didn't need in the first place. Basically, we call it tipping rather than tithing. We'll give 20 bucks as the offering plate, which we don't even pass an offering plate usually in here. People do it as they leave. But we'll give 20 bucks as we go by. It's not even the cost of a meal for my family but that's what we'll give to the Lord. But the scriptures call us to something more significant. It's called the principle of the first fruits. And we see it multiple times throughout the scripture. For the sake of time, I'll just give you one example from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse four and five. It says, you are to give them the first fruits of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the first wool from the shearing of your sheep. For the Lord your God has chosen them and their descendants out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the Lord's name always. The first fruit suggests that we're not supposed to give God what's left over. As you give to the Lord, you do so on the front end. I can think of one great biblical example of this scripture. It's found in the book of Joshua. The Israelites, remember they had been wandering for 40 years on a journey to the promised land. They finally get there and they face one of the greatest battles imaginable. The first city that they prepare to conquer is Jericho. But Jericho is well fortified. They've got this huge wall that surrounds the city. God intervenes in a miraculous way and he allows them to be victorious, causing the walls of the city to fall down. But God gives the Israelites an odd piece of instruction in Joshua 6, 19, it says, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So in other words, when you get in there, you're going to come across all these valuables. You're going to give all of them to the Lord. What makes this stand out is the Israelites will conquer dozens and dozens of nations along the way. This is the only time that they are instructed in this way. This is the first city, and therefore you're going to give God all of the riches, but then you get to keep everything else that you receive along the way. 
It's actually the principle of first fruits. Give it to God first and then allow everything else to take care of itself. And we need to do it faithfully. Consider the words of 1 Corinthians 16, 2, which says, On every Lord's Day, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. You may make more or less money each week. Give accordingly. Give faithfully. About a year ago, I had one of you, an individual from this church, come to me and share that the individual felt convicted about the area of tithing. He said that he had given at times, but it was really out of an abundance that he had already received. It wasn't really a tithe, and he knew it. So as he sat down to do his monthly budget, he began with his tithe. In his case, so that he wouldn't be tempted to change his mind, he went to the church website and immediately sent the money that was intended for his tithe. But he noted that he still wasn't quite sure how he would be able to pay for all the bills that still remained. He simply realized that God had called him to do it and to be faithful. He said, I can't afford not to tithe. He shared with me recently that every time since then, as money would get tight, as it seemed that money would run out, God has always shown up and provided for his every need. He actually shared recently that God has provided more over the last year than at any other point in his life. And he credits it to the fact that he began to tithe faithfully to the Lord. It actually fits with the scripture that we read. Go ahead and test and see. Try me in this. And I will pour out such great blessings that the rest of the world will look at you and say, you are blessed. I will give you all that you need. So let me close with one last thing. It's actually where we started today. I don't want you to give today out of guilt or because you feel like you have to do it. Certainly, we should all give. But I want you to look beyond the responsibility element this morning. As a child, I did things to avoid punishment from my mom. Y'all know my mom. You're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> As I grew up, I did things just because what I thought my mom expected of me, I needed to do. Eventually, I began to do things simply because I knew it brought her pleasure. Likewise, I invite you to be generous and faithful in your tithing. But as I do so, I invite you to do it because you know that it will bring pleasure to him, your heavenly father. It has been said that stripped down to the basics, tithing is an act of worship to God. It is a form of surrendering to him. He is, he is the one who has given all that we have anyways. So let us respond to his generosity and simply say, God, I love you, and I give myself of you. One of the first things we go to when the pastor stands up and talks about money, um, money must be really tight at the church.
No. I, I, you know what? I remember we had a family that wanted to, to help us when I was very early in ministry. And my pride told me, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I need your help. I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. And I remember the words of this gentleman. He said, don't rob me of a blessing. And the idea was that if God has called me to do it and I don't do it, I'm going to lose out on the blessing that God intended for me. Well, here's the thing. He's called each of us to tithe and to give generously. Don't rob yourself of a blessing. God wants to be able to bless you. He already has. Be faithful with what he blessed you. If you would, bow your heads. Father, as we come before you today, we are so grateful for your blessings. Thank you for being so generous to us. Not only with our financial rewards, the things that we have in our bank account, the things that we have in our home, we do celebrate those things. Thank you for your generosity by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Thank you for the relationship that has now been made available to each of us. Father, I pray today that if there be one individual in here that does not know you, their relationship with you is not right, I pray right now that you would make them right. You tell us in your word that if we will confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of those sins. And we believe today that that is still true. So we confess and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that should the day come very soon that our loved ones are grieving our loss, Lord, I pray that they would be able to know that we are ready. Father, I pray that we would hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But not just because we said a prayer, but that because we lived the transformed life. But I pray that you would transform everything about us including our generosity. Help us to give with a heart that says, I want to please you, Lord. And Lord, as we do, I pray that you would continue to pour out your blessing upon us. May we become living testimonies to the rest of the world, to the rest of the church, of what it looks like to be surrendered to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Paul.